Chapter Agent Keiko Yumeko Carter Agent Keiko Yumeko Carter slapped the alarm clock as it yet again dared to disturb her night's sleep. Another day was beginning to take shape at the Bureau. A day filled with hard work, mystery, and idiotic co-workers. A typical morning for her. After taking a shower, prepping her hair and face, putting on her suit, and grabbing a bite of buttered toast with a glass of orange juice, she waited impatiently in her car on the slightly congested commute to the J. Edgar Hoover Building, headquarters for the Federal Bureau of Investigation in Washington, D.C. Later, she dumped her briefcase on the floor of her cubicle, walked straight to the break room, made a cup of herbal tea, and slowly walked back to her desk. It was 6.30 when she sat down and turned on her computer. Keiko enjoyed being the first to arrive at the office, since it gave her the opportunity to relax before the ragtag crew stumbled in. Her peers called her a workaholic, but it was her way of building a strong enough barrier to ward off the monotony of the day. At the age of 27, she had already established herself as a fast-rising star with boundless potential. However, being a woman of rare Japanese and African-American descent, she felt the need to exceed beyond what was normally expected. In every way, she needed to prove she was better at everything. So, no excuse could be used in bypassing her next promotion to supervisor. Her mother, Hiroko, had always told her that in America, education and intelligence were the keys to unlocking your dreams. Little did she know her daughter, Soma cum laude of her graduate school class at John Hopkins University, would join the FBI. It was a shock to both Hiroko and her husband Adam. They both expected a different decision from Keiko's BS and PhD from John Hopkins. As an undergraduate, she had double majored in chemistry and molecular biology, and minored in computer science. In graduate school, she had concentrated on biological chemistry. Up to this day, they still didn't understand her decision, despite how often Keiko tried to explain. Without a logical answer from Keiko to appease her, Hiroko focused on Keiko's lackadaisical social life and argued that her profession was hindering her from finding a good husband and settling down. She argued that a 27-year-old should have a prospective husband in sight. Needless to say, tension became the norm between mother and daughter. Hiroko couldn't understand Keiko's decisions, and Keiko hated her mother's criticism. Keiko checked her emails, deleted the unwanted junk mail, and reviewed her schedule for the day. Chief Agent John, the jerk Martin, had scheduled a meeting from 7.30 to 8. She was only one promotion away from being his equal, and knew his 48-year-old ego felt threatened. Looking at the folders awaiting her attention, she sighed and got to work. Maybe she could clear the majority of the paperwork before her 7.30 meeting. As she worked, she heard the arrival of other agents, but didn't bother acknowledging them. She was in a zone. One of the rules of the office was to never interrupt Keiko when her nose was to the grindstone. Well, everyone except for Agent Brooksy Coley. Yo, Kay, what's up? Keiko nearly jumped out of her seat as Brooks' voice boomed directly behind her. She slowly suppressed the thought of verbally reprimanding her friend when her papers were moved to the side, only to be replaced by Brooks' rump. Aw, come on Kay, lighten up. Sometimes you're way too intense. Brooke, I have to finish this before my 7.30 meeting with Martin, Keiko said, still not looking up. Too bad. What? Keiko looked at her friend. Brooke put on one of her stunning smiles. Good morning, girl. How you doing? Fine, Brooke. Look, I love busy here. I have to. As I was saying, hey, too bad it's 7.28. 
Guess you'll have to finish your work later. Mr. Jerky Toe is waiting for you. Keiko looked at her watch. Where did the time go? She thought. Agent John Martin watched Keiko get up from her cubicle, say something to Brooke, and start walking in his direction. He watched the rhythm of her legs as they moved. Keiko had that exotic thing going for her, while Brooke was just downright gorgeous. Martin knew Keiko wasn't interested and would most likely use her second-degree black belt training in martial arts if he ever tried anything. He quickly popped several Tic Tacs in his mouth and put on a supervisory attitude as Keiko entered. Close the door, Agent Carter. Keiko obliged, then sat down in a chair in front of his desk. Agent Martin looked up and made a mental effort to maintain eye contact with his subordinate. Watch television lately? Excuse me, she asked, folding her arms across her chest. Television? How often do you watch it? Shaking her head, I don't know, maybe a little here and there. Why? Tic-tac breath, she thought. You mean you only can watch CNN once in a while? He asked, making idle conversation before getting down to business. Keiko breathed deeply, controlling what she really wanted to say. No, not often, she said slowly. Agent Martin shrugged and placed a folder in front of Keiko. Here, he said, desperately trying to suppress a precocious smile. What's this, a TV schedule? She said sarcastically. She was really pissed off and had better things to do than playing me. Guess why I called you into my office, Kane. No, Agent Carter, he said smiling. It's about the fire that happened at Iron Mountain several days ago in New Jersey. Keiko refused to pick up the folder. I heard all about that. It's a local problem for the police and fire department, not an issue for the Federal Bureau of Investigations. Well, we need someone to go up there and check things out since, excuse me, sir. But if there's an issue about this fire not being an accident, then it's still a local problem. Why is he trying to put me on some lane case, she thought. Wait, let me finish, Agent Martin said, holding up his hand. We got a tip, an anonymous phone call, that the fire may have been an act of arson. Did you contact the local authorities? Yes, Carter, they were notified. And they still want us to come up and check things out, she asked. Right, that's it. I'm not wasting my time on this, she thought. Sir, I still don't understand why they can't send someone out from the Newark FBI office site to handle this. But since, for whatever reason, they'd want us. I can think of several agents here that'd love to travel to New Jersey to investigate this alleged fire. My level of expertise isn't required for such a simple matter as this, but thank you for bringing it to my attention." Martin smiled. This was exactly what he expected. You know, you're probably right. It's probably some nutcase wanting to take the credit for something he didn't do. But hey, it's out of my hands. This comes from upstairs. They personally want you to look into this, he lied. Keiko stared at Martin, shocked. Why would management want her to look into an open and shut case? Were they trying to slow down her rapid climb up the bureau's ladder by throwing low-level jobs her way? This case was far below her level of expertise. Why me? She asked. I don't know, said Martin, failing to suppress a smirk. He was enjoying this. It wasn't often his golden child was thrown a red herring. If his supervisors were thinking of slowing down, her record ascension in the Bureau, he wasn't going to argue with them. Ever since Keiko had joined his group, he had felt the need to constantly look over his shoulder. To reach his current position had required an immense effort over far too many years, while some upstart John Hopkins graduate blazed her way up the ladder in just a few years. He knew she was far more talented than anyone he'd ever come across, 
but that didn't mean he had to like it. He'd be damned before he made life easy for her. Keiko opened the folder. She knew Martin was enjoying this, but what choice did she have? It was her job. No matter how lame it might seem, she'd do it to the best of her ability, which far surpassed that of her immediate, stupid visor. You'll find everything you need in there to get started, said Martin. Yes, I can see. Local fire and police phone numbers, contacts from Iron Mountain, and a statement made by an anonymous person. That's it. Yep, he said. Martin wasn't being helpful, and Keiko knew it. Was the phone call by our mystery man recorded? She asked. Yep. Keiko sighed, which his voice checked against our database. Yep, and no match. So that's it? Nothing more? She asked. That's it. You can take another agent with you. It's your choice. Seems like an open and shut case. Enjoy the vacation, said Martin. I'm going to treat this like any other serious investigation. If it turns of nothing, then so be it. I'll only be satisfied when I've scrutinized it thoroughly. Good. That's what I like to hear. Go get him, Agent K. Keiko stood up, nodded to Martin, and left. She knew he had made that stupid reference to that science fiction movie on purpose to belittle her. When she was in her cubicle, she rubbed her temples and tried to relax. She wasn't going to let Martin get to her. She was better than that. Placing the folder Martin gave her under her remaining paperwork, she went back to the break room to make a fresh cup of herbal tea. When she got there, Brooke was finishing a cup of coffee. So, how'd it go? Keiko shook her head. I'll talk about it later. I'm still a bit tense. Fine then, let's talk about nothing. We can stand here sipping out of styrofoam cups without saying a word. Brooke smiled, not hiding her sarcasm. Yeah, okay, said Keiko, somewhat more muted than normal. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. What the heck happened in there? I know you guys don't really get along, but I've never seen you like this before. Usually you leave his room wanting to use him as your dummy when practicing Wing Chun. Keiko took several sips from her cup before answering. What do you think? Hey, calm down, Miss Carter. It's me you're talking to. Just tell me, what's eating you? Keiko relented and told her friend everything that happened in the meeting. At first, Brooke didn't know what to say since she usually got the open and shut simple cases when she got a revelation. You know, Keiko, you're right. You should take it seriously. Maybe upper management is testing you, seeing if you're dedicated enough to take a lame duck. You know, is she upper or is she lower? What are you talking about, Brooke? Look, maybe they're testing your dedication. If you throw this case back in Martin's face, then you don't look good. But if you do the usual Keiko job, then they know you're a team player. Keiko didn't see it from that angle. She just thought someone was trying to slow her progress. Then she remembered what Martin said. You know, Martin did say I could choose any agent I want. Yeah, that's right, Brooke said, in a sexy voice. So, which one are you looking at? Vic is cute, but choose Bruce any time. I was thinking about you. Brooke stared at Keiko. You're joking, right? Nope. This is business, and I'd like to keep it that way. I can trust you to stay focused, said Keiko seriously. You know, it's always business with you. Have you ever thought about? Yes, I have. And it's going to stay that way, just a thought. First, I need you to obtain a copy of the recording of Mr. Anonymous. Then, I need a list of all companies doing business with Iron Mountain. Let's start with those two things. Brooke gulped down the last of the coffee. So I guess we can forget having a good time off on the job. Like every business office, news always traveled faster than the amount of work being done. 
Everyone wondered who Keiko was going to ask to assist her on her field trip to New Jersey. Some of the guys were drooling over the prospect of spending a few days with her. Even if nothing came of it, it was more than anyone ever spent with her, since she never dated anyone from work. Others said that with her experience, it'd be good to pick up some of her techniques. Little did they know she'd already made her decision. Later on that morning, Agent Martin waited patiently for Keiko's update. He was thrilled to see the high and mighty humble from time to time. It taught them it's not a one-man or woman show. It was nearly lunchtime when he saw the 5'8", 120-ish pound brunette coming his way. He tried not to smile, not wanting to show her how much he was enjoying her humbling. He'd reserved that for the right time during the meeting, when she was at her most vulnerable state, of course. Keiko knocked on the open door. Have a minute? She asked. A minute? Nah. I have nothing but limitless time for my star agent, he said. Keiko slowly blinked her eyes to remain focused on the task at hand. Brooke and I would like to give you a brief update on what we got so far. Can we meet here or should we use the conference room? Brooke, what does she have to do with? Are you saying you chose Agent C. Coley to assist you? Yes. May I ask why? This isn't some sorority outing. Keiko paused and then replied. She has the necessary experience to be helpful in this investigation. That's true but so do more than half of the other people working for me. Yes, I know, it's my choice, as you said it was, and I picked Brooke from all the others, because she's the best agent that would complement both my style and abilities. Whatever, Martin waved his hand. He really didn't care. This was a dead-end investigation anyway. We can meet in here, he said. This won't take long, said Keiko, turning on her heel, leaving his office. After several minutes, she returned with Brooke, and they both sat down in front of his desk. Brooke put on one of her patented smiles and looked perfectly at ease. Keiko, on the other hand, was all business and looked as though she couldn't wait to get this over with. Agent Martin nodded toward Brooke and wondered why Keiko couldn't style her hair like that. Brooke's light brown hair was shoulder length and looked silky smooth, like the models he saw on those hair television commercials. Martin always felt at ease with her and sometimes thought about asking her out for drinks after work, but knew it wasn't appropriate for a supervisor to do so. Keiko cleared her throat before beginning. This investigation looks like an open and shut case, but let's play with the idea that Mr. Anonymous had. Mr. Who? interrupted Martin. The man who felt the need to contact us about the fire, Keiko said slowly. She didn't like being interrupted. Oh, go on. Anyway, what if Mr. Anonymous wasn't some freak, but really wanted to give us some information about the fire? That's a real big play, said Martin. Excuse me? asked Keiko. Brooke chuckled. She got the joke. Martin tried to explain. He said, let's play with this idea. I was just saying that considering Mr. Anonymous a credible source is a big assumption. Keiko ignored the explanation and continued. If he's credible, then what was he trying to tell us? Why would someone set several storage facilities on fire? Just for the fun of it, I can think of easier targets. If this site was a premeditated act of arson, then there must be an underlying simple reason for the act. I asked Agent C. Cole Lee to look up all companies doing business with Iron Mountain. Keiko paused so Brooke could take over. Brooke produced the list and handed copies to Keiko and Martin. There's exactly 300 companies currently using Iron Mountain for storage, said Brooke pausing to allow Martin to flip through the pages. I organized the companies by type and volume of data stored. As you can see, 
The top 15 companies are bank and pharmaceutical corporations. Martin nodded. Almost anything can be made to look like something if enough thought was put into it. He realized where the two were going with this and would wait patiently for them to verbalize it before tearing their fragile speculation into shreds. Of the top 15, 10 are pharmaceuticals and five financial institutions. Brooke finished. Keiko took over. If this fire was premeditated, then one of these organizations may be suspect. Whatever their motivation was to start this fire and burn their documents, we hope to determine soon the whys and the who. Martin looked from Keiko to Brooke to make sure they were finished. He then rubbed his chin to act as though he was deep in thought. You know what this reminds me of? A bad B movie. Let me remind you too that your job is to go to New Jersey, interview people, make contacts, inspect the site, and make a report. Your job is not to make up something without hard evidence and facts. Now he had to put on the act of an irate supervisor. I expect you two on the road tomorrow without delay. It's a simple field investigation. Get the job done. Stop making assumptions and stop wasting my time. Now, get out. Brooke and Keiko quickly left the room without a word. Once several feet from his office, Brooke looked at Keiko, amazed. How'd you know he was going to say that? She asked. Keiko smiled. Martin's a simpleton. He only sees black and white. Gray confuses him. Before they left work, numerous phone calls were made, interviews set up, and appointments scheduled for the next several days in New Jersey. Later that evening, Brooke brought over her travel gear to Keiko's townhouse in Annandale, Virginia. They neatly packed everything to be ready to jump in the car and take off early tomorrow morning, hoping to avoid the horrendous traffic between Washington and Baltimore. For the rest of the evening they relaxed and, as usual, Keiko kept her feelings about her family and insecurities to herself. That part of her life was always kept private, as she preferred not to make it the focus of any conversation with Brooke. The walls she erected only came down with her family. Unfortunately, she was no longer as close as she used to be with them, so she carried the burden all by herself. Keiko grew up in San Francisco with her mother, father, and older brother, Maceo. Her mother was a successful real estate agent, her father a plastic surgeon, and her brother a computer engineer. They were a close-knit family, always spending time together, openly sharing their feelings, and never suppressing their love for one another. Being in San Francisco enabled them to never worry about the interracial union of a Japanese woman and a black American man. However, they knew there were always small pockets of old-fashioned, small-minded people who didn't care for such unions. But with their strong family bond, it didn't matter. Over time, Hiroko became very successful with her real estate business. Adam always had a long list of patients and may say, oh, got his doctorate in computer science and later married. Keiko was the only one they couldn't figure out. With the amount of time she spent studying the sciences, it looked as though she was going to be the family's first PhD research scientist. She was extremely gifted and had a promising future. However, Keiko felt trapped when she realized she wanted more than being an expert in one particular field. After her postdoctoral work, she wanted a job to expand her mind but couldn't think of one, other than going back to school to major in a different discipline. She desperately tried to explain herself to her parents, but they remained unable to grasp her dilemma, since they always believed that successful people are those who focus on only one path. No one could split their focus and remain exceptionally effective. Discussions led to arguments, and arguments to a breakdown in family communication. So, in a fit of anger over her mother's constant badgering, Keiko 
made a hasty temporary decision and joined the FBI until she figured out what she really wanted to do with her life, much to her family's chagrin. They just couldn't understand the jump from science to the FBI. With her science background and the pressing need for agents well-versed in the subject, she became the popular choice for several important cases and was exceptional at it. She still kept on top of her science by subscribing to numerous science journals, but she eventually stayed with the FBI when she realized, to her surprise, that she loved it. She figured the driving force to this big change was her not wanting to be stuck in a box doing the same thing every day. She wanted and needed variety, and her position provided all of the variety and freedom she craved deep within. Her family finally backed off and suppressed their disappointment. Hiroko blamed Adam for spoiling her. Brooke joined the FBI a few years after Keiko, under similar circumstances. So it wasn't much of a shock to Keiko, when their friendship slowly grew, once she heard of their similar backgrounds. Brooke had graduated from Columbia University with a Master's of Science in Immunology and Infectious Diseases. She also didn't want a lab job and jumped at the chance to join the FBI, which wasn't much of a shock to anyone close to her when considering her free spirit. Both agents relaxed in the living room, Keiko looking at the latest journal of biological chemistry and Brooke flicking through the channels on the television. Bored from the numerous channels of never-ending reruns, Brooke glanced at Keiko and decided to stir her friend's pot again. This should be interesting, she thought. So, is there anyone new in your life? Keiko looked up from her magazine and after a long pause, shook her head. You know, I'm not seeing anyone right now. And why not? There's a list of guys dying to give you a call. Keiko sighed. I know, but they're not really my type. Brooke rolled her eyes. And what's your type? You seem to find flaws in every guy showing interest. Go out on a date, have some fun. Look, when you get my age, the dating scene starts to lose its luster. You get tired of jumping from date to date. You know what you want in a relationship, and that's what you look for. I'm not 24 like you, you know. Stretching on the sofa, Rook stared at the ceiling. So how are you going to find Mr. Wright if you don't get out? Is he going to mysteriously appear at your door one day? Are you going to hear wedding bells and know that it's love at first sight? You know how the FBI frowns on online dating. Life doesn't work that way. K. Keiko looked away from her friend. She didn't want to get into an argument, so she remained silent. Look, Kay, after we get back from this field trip, why don't I set up a double date? I know several compatible guys. Outside the job, of course. With a double date, there will be no pressure, all right? Yeah, yeah, fine, said Keiko, looking at her watch. It was 10 in the evening. We should get to bed soon. No problem, boss. Brooke smiled once again nullifying the tense air. Oh, by the way, you're taking the sofa, right? In your dreams, see Coley, 